The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS District community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. If you'd like to receive a promo code for a 90-day trial of Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit Balsamic.com slash go slash SAS district today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we are back on our special episodes as part of, as part of our mini-series for the month, where we interview different team members of a SAS company to learn their expertise as part of their overall business strategy. On today's mini-series of Inside Balsamic, we're talking about education as a feature of your SaaS product. Today, we have our guest, Leon Barnard from Balsamic joining us. Leon is a designer, writer, and educator at Balsamic. He uses his 10, over 10 years of experience as UX designer to teach users how to use UI design basics and wireframing to all of Balsamic's audience of mostly non-designers. He loves helping people and technology get along better. So welcome, Leon. Super excited to have you on the SAS District Show today. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So I want to hear about your marketing strategy because this, you guys have something unique going on here. Uh, tell us, you know, inside inside Balsamic, what does the current marketing marketing team look like? What does that strategy look like, and how does your team run things differently than maybe traditional SaaS companies? Yeah, I think actually we're quite different from a lot of SaaS companies. Um, our marketing team is very small, um, although our marketing efforts are quite large um, because most of the marketing we do is not really traditional marketing. Um, I think we're actually quite lucky in a lot of respects in that our, our product kind of had a very natural product market fit and it, it grew quickly through word of mouth early on. Um, we kind of had a, a really good position in the market. So we didn't need to do a lot to grow initially and get, gain that traction. So a lot of our, a lot of mar- our marketing now is really focused on, uh, on, ma- on maintaining and just kind of refining uh, our brand and our message. We're, we're, it's not so focused on growth, which is a kind of a nice luxury to have. Um, so we do a lot of, uh, a lot of indirect marketing, you know, um, you know, you could call it inbound marketing, but also, um, you know, we try not to be too in your face about it. Um, so we don't do a lot of direct, uh, advertising. We do a lot of marketing through things like sponsorships, um, you know, education, which, which I'll talk about in some of our other things that we do just to help people, uh, kind of become better users of the product or help the community. Um, and not a lot of kind of direct in your, in your face, um, uh, kind of uh, the types of marketing that you see a lot of SaaS companies doing these days. 
because we already have an established customer base. And, you know, our goal is not just to gain as many new customers as possible. And that sounds quite counterintuitive, right? Like most SaaS companies, like, you know, growth and SaaS, you know, if you don't put those two words together, like it doesn't make sense, right? But I, I know, you know, speaking to, to Peldi before, right? Like I'm, he's happy with, you know, single digit, you know, very, very small growth, but just focusing on keeping existing users happy. But just, you know, curious from your perspective, why do you think Balsamic wants to take this, you know, atypical approach to, to marketing? I think a lot of it goes back to Peldi and his his vision for the company. I mean, when he started it, he thought it was just going to be a one-person company for life. <laughs> so growth, he's kind of anti-growth. Every time we hire somebody, it feels like, uh, you know, he's kind of resistant to it. So, you know, now we have 33 people uh, and, you know, and that's after 13 years in business. And I think that feels like a huge company to him. So it's just, it's, he never imagined, uh, you know, being a company that would be so, so big, you know, <laughs> quote unquote big. Um, and, um, so I think there's always kind of, we're, we're never aiming to grow. We're just, um, you know, I, maybe he talked about this idea of kind of your, your product's natural size. And, you know, clearly there's a, um, clearly there is a market for a wireframing tool and we're really lucky that, um, you know, with the growth of UX, um, a lot of people want this tool, but you know, this is not going to be a, a hundred million dollar company, or it's not going to be something that's necessarily a household, uh, name. So we're happy just to, you know, our goal is basically just to try to get it in the hands of any of everybody who would want it or possibly be interested in it and not necessarily try to, um, sell it to every single person on the planet. Um, you know, and we're, it's, you know, he focuses, I think, or talks about sustainable growth. Um, you know, we're all self, uh, we're self-funded, profitable. We don't have, um, you know, investors who are asking for a return on their investment. So that really gives us a lot of freedom to not have to, um, grow rapidly. Yeah. And, and I love that kind of thinking, right? Because, um, you know, I think most founders think if they need to start a a company that they have to grow fast and they have to follow the certain path. They have to take outside capital. You know, there is no right way of doing this. And, you know, I think what I love Peldi is he's sticking to what he wants to do. He's like, look, this is what I want. I don't want a big company. I don't want a big team. I'm happy with this. And he, he's okay with that and accepting that. That's a hard thing and not, you know, giving in to, to, you know, outside, um, you know, pressures or, you know, what people think is the right way. So there, there's no right way. And I, you know, I respect that, you know, what Peldi's doing, what you guys are doing. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you guys talk about this concept of, you know, the whole product concept. How do you, how do you go about making the marketing one feature of a, of a broader product? If you can speak about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, our product is pretty simple in what it does. Um, the messaging for it is pretty clear. Um, but features are relatively easy to copy. So, you know, Peldi understands and as a company, we understand that if we're going to stay in business and if we are going to, you know, continue to succeed and grow at a, you know, a moderate pace, we have to offer more than just, um, the, the, the code that, that we ship. Um, you know, and so that a big part of that, for example, is just being, you know, staying in business, you know, I mean, somebody can come out with a, uh, a version of something similar or some, some version of a tool that offers everything that we do, we do and something more, but if they don't, uh, if they're not, if they don't have a business model, that's going to keep them in business, 
you know, I think we've all experienced, you know, using tools that are really, really cool. And then two years later, it goes out of business and you're frustrated because you have to migrate all your data or you've gotten used to it or you have to learn a new tool. So um, the, the core, the foundation of that whole product is just that the company is a part of your product too. And building a company that is sustainable, then it's going to last um, is, a, is as, as, as important as the product that you sell. And then also, you know, that includes the, the values of the company and trying to, you know, define what those values are and stick to those values and, and be the kind of company that we would like to work with ourselves. So that's, it's kind of behind the scenes and that's not necessarily, uh, you don't necessarily see that in all of our marketing, but it's something that we try to kind of embody in, in the little ways, like when you contact us or in all of the kind of touch points, we try to be just kind of good people or real people, or, you know, just kind of, we want people to give, have a good interaction with us. And, you know, that I think we, we've also all experienced, you know, both, both extremes of that, where you maybe like a product and then you have a terrible uh, experience customer service experience or whatever, and it really turns you off or vice versa. There could be a mediocre product. And if everybody's friendly, then you want to keep doing business with them. So, you know, that doesn't sound like marketing, but it actually is. If you're looking at, you know, user experience or customer experience, you know, thinking about every, every touch point, um, it goes way beyond the, the product. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's an important thought, right? A lot of people think, you know, the features is what makes your business, but the business is beyond just features because those are easy, replaceable copy. Um, and you can't just build, say, okay, we're going to copy the next guys and just build more features. Cause that's, you know, what typically people say, right? It's like, we're going to build more features and, and just be cheaper. And I think we'll win the market, but th that's easily, there's no mode to that. There's nothing that that'll keep customers happy. And I think what you're saying is, you know, as part of that is just, you know, there's a features, but there's a whole, you know, other part of this, which is what really makes your business valuable. And it's what you guys focus on. Um, and, you know, that ties into something that was an interesting story. I think Peldi mentioned in his first interview with us, which is you added this feature where something pops up where it says uh, that feature, what should I make for dinner? Um, where, where did that idea come from? And what's kind of the impact you've seen from, from you know, that specific feature in the company and with the clients had that impact that? I think it's a really good example. And it's funny um, that, so I've been with Balsamic yesterday was my ninth anniversary. So I've been here for nine years and that, that feature has actually been here longer than I have. So um, uh, it was, I think it was just an idea. One of our, our, I think the the second employee that Peldi hired, uh, she loves, she's a great cook. She loves sharing ideas. And uh, so she just has a bunch of recipes and, um, I think it was, and it, we, you know, there's kind of a food connection, you know, it's an Italian company and food is a big part of our, our, you know, culture. Um, and so I think at the time it just seemed like a fun idea. And, uh, since it happened early on, I don't, you know, we might be reluctant to do something like that now. And I think probably a lot of bigger companies, it feels, you know, they're afraid to do something silly or lighthearted. Um, but at that point, like I said, probably never imagined this company growing to more than, you know, a, a small handful of people. And so you kind of have this attitude, like, well, why not? You know, it's just, you, you know, you feel like you're just making a product for you and some friends or something like that. So I think it started from this place of just kind of like, why not? Let's have some fun. But it's something that we're really, we've, we're really proud of over time because we get tweets and comments about it all this, all the time, people discovering this cool, what should I make for dinner feature in our product, which seems to have nothing to do with wireframing. And it doesn't, but it's just this idea of 
hey, life is more than just wireframing, or maybe you're super into wireframing and, you know, you, you know, ran out of time to make dinner or whatever. So you want a quick recipe. And so it kind of embodies this idea that, you know, software can be playful and that there's, there's more to life than, than software. And, you know, that, that this means that we're kind of a friendly, approachable product or, you know, more than any, anything, it means that there's real people behind it. You know, and and so we keep trying to kind of replicate that idea or think about that idea uh, when we're evolving the product. And people, I mean, the feedback we've got from it on it has just been, you know, universally positive. Everybody loves that idea. Nobody doesn't like it. And it's not in your face. It's just a little thing in the help menu. You know, probably 90% of the people who use the product don't even know it's there, but that's that's fine. It's just kind of a, a nice little fun thing that kind of conveys this message that you know, we're real people and we don't take things too seriously, I guess. And you mentioned something interesting. Like, you, you know, there's more reluctance now when you're a little bit bigger. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine like, you know, like in LinkedIn or Instagram where, you know, hey, you've been sitting on this app for you know, the last three hours, you know, maybe you should get up, you know, pop in your face, hey, go for, go for a walk or like go have a drink of water and get off your screen. You know, I don't think they, they'd want to do that um, for their specific reasons. But, you know, from your perspective, is there a reason why you haven't, you know, tried more things like that recently? Well, we, we talk about it all the time, actually. I mean, there was a, a long period where we were um, kind of rewriting our application from scratch. You know, it was written in old, old format and bring it uh, to a new format. And we were just really focused on the features and, and the functionality and stuff like that. And now that all of that is stable, we are talking a lot about kind of these, you know, in product uh, ideas. And, you know, our discussions now are more about how can we build in some of these things to help people become better at wireframing, or it's a little bit more focused on the, the product or making the product experience more enjoyable or more, you know, more kind of engaging or more helpful, you know, thinking beyond just the, the core features of the product, but thinking more within still staying within the scope of, of the, the work. How can we make the work better or how can we help people tell when their wireframes are getting too complicated or, you know, we would love to have something where we could kind of have a little built-in usability gauge in there or something like that. So trying to think beyond core features, but staying within this idea of helping people do their jobs better or, or get their work done faster so that they can go and have dinner or something like that. Um, so we're thinking about it a little differently, but still trying to think beyond, you know, what, what are these core features, things that are going to be kind of unique and, you know, and fun and, you know, a little bit outside the box. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. That's cool. Um, and, then, and then going back to kind of the question of growth, I know you guys mentioned you have, um, you know, something called the four pillars of Balsamic. Can you speak a little bit? What are those Four pillars of balsamic success and what that actually leads to what you guys called, you know, sustainable growth. Yeah. And so that kind of evolved over time. And we've, you know, as we've grown, we've been able to invest more in those pillars. So the first one is, uh, is the product itself. Um, and then the second one is, is the company, as, as I mentioned. And then, you know, our original mission, which we still stick to is um, we want to try to rid the world of bad software. And so in that statement, it doesn't say anything about uh, our product necessarily. So, you know, we can do that by making a product that helps people design software that's easier to use. 
but we can also help people just become better designers. We can help people who are aspiring to become designers do that. People who don't necessarily have access to all the resources, um, you know, we can help the community. Um, so our third uh, pillar is giving back. So just being supportive of the community. We do a lot of sponsorships, sponsoring con conferences and meetups and events um, and donating our software to a lot of people. And so just making it uh, kind of widening UX uh, and making it more available to more people. Um, and then in a related way, the last pillar is education, which is helping, which is kind of being very deliberate about helping people become better designers um, because our core audience is not not UX designers. It's maybe product managers, founders, a lot of a lot, a lot of SaaS startup people who don't have a designer yet, or you know, don't have a design team, and they want to get their idea out there. So they don't have a background in design. So just helping them become better designers, um, you know, independent of the product that they use, or they can use a different wireframing tool, you know, but it's still related to our message of, you know, helping improve software overall. So those four pillars of the product, the company giving back and education are all ways that we're kind of supporting our, our mission. And as we've grown and been able to add more people, we now have dedicated people to each of those pillars. Mm -hmm. So you have somebody who actually leads them. So product company giving back and education. Now, um, so obviously I can see how, you know, all this ties into to overall, you know, the company's success and, Maybe if, if some, you know, if a founder is listening in, right? You, you know, other SaaS founders, even marketers are thinking about maybe implementing something similar in their own SaaS company. Do you have any, any advice or thoughts that, you know, they can start thinking about? Well, like I said, we are in a very good position in that we have an established uh, user base. You know, we have an established name and brand. And, you know, we got really lucky with the timing early on um, and, you know, with word of mouth. And so we're not, we don't have to be focused on growth. And so if you are in a position where you're really trying to get people build awareness, you know, then you probably do need to invest in more growth marketing and, and the product and those sorts of things. But if you are in a place where maybe you, you feel good about, you know, your adoption and you want to maybe find a way to stand out, or you feel like you're in a kind of a stable place, then I would say, just try to think, well, think about things that are hard to copy, you know, so features are easier to copy. What are some ways that you can create, a, you know, that just feel unique or personal to you and ways that you can help people become better at what they do? You know, how can you give people a good experience with your product that goes beyond the features? So, you know, that may not necessarily be the same ways that, that we do things with education and giving back. I mean, certainly building a sustainable and long lasting company uh, is going to be a very important thing, but I guess just in general, pay attention to the things outside of the product that are going to give people uh, a memorable experience that are going to make them feel good about, about themselves after using the product. So, you know, maybe they spend less time in their product because you've designed it so well that, you know, they get their job done quicker or whatever. That's, that should be a win. Or what are some ways that you can teach them uh, about things related to the product or talk to people in their industry? You know, who do they look up to? You know, think about these things, um, you know, try to talk to real people and listen to their stories and, and, talk to them about the other products they use and the things that they want to learn and they're interested in. Um, we do a lot of, we don't do a lot with 
analytics and data. We do a lot of one-to-one user interviews and conversations, long conversations with people. Um, and so that really helps build a, a whole picture of your customer. And, you know, they spend a lot of their time not in your product. So find out what other things they care about and how can you help them do their overall job. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, what I'm hearing, you know, repeatedly is that this is all about, you know, the people kind of getting into the other people's, you know, getting into the, their, their, you know, their shoes, understanding them, really, you know, getting into them, getting in their face, talking to them, understanding them. Uh, and, I, and I heard this several times across, you know, different members we talked to in the series of part of the team who talk about customer service being a big part of, of your overall marketing and just you know, being there. Can, can you talk about why maybe customer service is the new marketing and how that works well for you guys? Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a phrase that we've been using for a long time. And that was, it was a way to convey this idea that, you know, the product is not the, the experience, you know, and so customer service is really, you know, now we think of that even broader. So it, it refers to any interaction that you have with our, with our company. And so a lot of that, a lot of people's, their primary interaction um, with us as a company after just downloading the product and using our website is if they have any problems with it or if they need to talk to support or sales or talk to anybody on the phone or by email. I mean, those opportunities are uh, are really rich for, you know, making or breaking um, uh, uh, the success of a, of a customer or, or a good interaction with them. And so if you really focus on having personal high quality uh, interactions from your customer service team, then that's really going to, uh, you know, help your product. So that is probably more powerful than any type of ad you might run, um, you know, or AdWords or any kind of, you know, website ad you might run is just having top-notch customer service, having every interaction that uh, a customer has with, with you uh, be, you know, be helpful and be, you know, feel, feel personal or however you want it to be. Um, but you know, that's going to be probably go a long way, um, to your success if you focus on that. Love it. Love it. Um, and then I guess kind of the, the core of this episode, you know, I want to talk about more about the, the education piece of, of the overall four pillars. Um, can, can you go more specifically, uh, in more detail of how you guys are using, you know, education. I'm assuming you're, you're, you're a big part of that as a feature for, for Balsamic and, and uh, what, what you're seeing there and how, how you approach that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something that has evolved over time as well. In the beginning, we, you know, we, we had our core of the product and the documentation and good support. And then, you know, it was a while before we felt comfortable or felt like we were ready to add kind of this education piece as a, as a main part of uh, our our company and our offering and our marketing. So now, if you go to our website, um, you know one of the links you see is is learn to wireframe um, uh, on the top. So it's kind of that's reflective of our, um, our our pillars. There, one of them is just all about helping people um, learn how to become better at wireframing. And so I lead the education team. I was a UX designer for a long time. Um, and so I'm kind of a subject matter expert. I was a big fan of the tool and of the, the approach that, that we take, uh, focusing on kind of low fidelity, not pixel perfect, you know, just getting your idea across rather than creating something that's, you know, looks great in your portfolio. And so, and we have another, um, full-time educator now too. And so we have people who have kind of lived the lives of our, of our customers and done wireframing as a and UI design as a job. And now we're basically, you know, in-house, um, 
uh, experts um, who just write about all the things that we've learned. Um, and we try to focus on real stories, you know, uh, not just theoretical um, things that you might learn in a boot camp or something about how things should be done or, you know, in a, a user experience guide about all these tools and techniques, um, you know, but we've lived a lot of these stories of working in real um, environments. And, and so it's, it's a lot of stories written kind of from firsthand or talking to people that we really respect and appreciate. And, um, you know, it's basically if, if you've heard of this book, Badass by Kathy Sierra, she talks about this idea of basically just, you know, it's not about your tool. It's about what people can accomplish with it. And so, you know, we create this tool, which we think is really good, but if you don't know what you're doing or you don't understand enough about UI design, you can still create a really crappy, uh, wireframe or, or output with it. So teaching people how to use it, you know, so if you're selling, um, you know, tools, you teach classes on how to do construction or whatever, you know, I mean, if you're uh, home Depot or something like that, you know, you don't, you can, your website should be all about how to do home improvement projects, you know? So it's kind of that, that idea of helping people, um, get better at our tool, um, by learning how to, you know, focusing on the outcomes uh, that they want and not just how to do, you know, all, you know, how to use all the features. Yeah, this is fantastic. So Balsamic Wireframing Academy and all, all these courses you have listed here, they're all free, right? There's no charge to, to go That's through. correct. Uh -huh. well, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love this. I mean, the, the kind of control guidelines, you guys go, you know, to the detail of, you know, how to set up a button or a checkbox or, you know, on off switch. These are just guidelines for every piece of the, the overall puzzle, right? And a lot of people may get stuck on that. And this kind of gives mm -hmm. you a good, a good framework. So I love this. Uh, I mean, I imagine this probably took quite a a while um, to put together. So you have somebody full-time, you know, one person who's constantly creating content or? Uh, we have two full-time people, me and another person. Mm -hmm. um, and then a part-time person who splits his time between um, this and actual UX design on the product. So he's actively doing UX design. And then another person who helps us specifically with the marketing for this, uh, this site. Um, so this is kind of where a lot of our marketing happens is through this education site. And, you know, we don't feel as bad on about pushing it on people because it's all free and it's all stuff you want to learn. So it's not like, Hey, buy our product. And none of it is focused on, on our product. I mean, we use uh, balsamic wireframes and all of our examples, but you know, it's, it's as a way to communicate how you should be building or what a wireframe should look like or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's evolved quite a bit. It started out as just a little, a small section of our, you know, our help and documentation site. And now it's grown into its own website. And, you know, so we slowly evolved it and added, uh, you know, more and more content and we're adding courses and we're, we're, um, you know, working with other people to help, help us create content. And so, uh, um, it's really grown a lot and it's been a big, you know, investment over the last uh, several years. Yeah, this is fantastic. And there's one here specifically, I think I'll, I'll guide uh, people listening in. Uh, there's a page called SAS website design lessons from real users. So we'll put that link to our show notes. And I think you guys go over a list over some of the top SAS companies, I think 10 of them. Um, and you guys kind of break it down and, and just show what, why it's converting. And, and so this is a good maybe tool I'll, I'll add to the show notes for people to check out if they're looking to improve their website design. And just one last question around this is, you know, how much is, uh, does this play into your kind of SEO and, you know, content strategy on that end? Are you, are you finding like this drives a lot of you know, traffic and, you know, leads and on the, on the back end as well? 
Um, well, the shorter answer is we don't really know. Fed <laughs> really doesn't like looking at the analytics. It drives me um, crazy you say that. <laughs> I know, I know. We don't have any kind of funnel set up, so we have no idea about conversions. I mean, sometimes we dig around in the Google analytics. Uh, we want to, but we don't even really know which articles or which links people are clicking on the most, um, which is kind of funny. So, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll kind of peek in just kind of curious, like, um, but we do actually invest, uh, we spend the most time on the SEO for these articles because we really want people to find them. Hmm. Um, you know, and really trying to get the, the SEO right and, and, and accurate too. You know, we want it to be a good description of what the article or the course is about and not necessarily, you know, whatever keywords are, are trending or whatever, because we want this, we want this content to be, to be visible, but we have no idea if, if it leads to conversions. Um, there's not a lot of links in our articles, you know, saying like, if you like this article, go buy our product, you know? And so, um, you know, Peldi said a long time ago, we're, you know, we're leaving money on the table for sure. Uh, and we're kind of okay with that because we don't want to be too pushy. Um, so, um, you know, our revenue continues to, to grow at the right rate. Um, but we really have no idea if uh, the, the work we're doing on this education front is actually converting people into buying our product. Yeah, I think I might have to add up that part where you said you're not, you don't know how much traffic is going to each page because that's, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh man, that's okay. I mean, that works for you guys, but yeah, man, my controlling engineering mind is like, no, you have to look at the data. Some of us want to look at the data more and probably just, he's, he's just not interested in, no. in all so. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. Cool. Um, so Leon, I think this has been fantastic, super helpful. I think for, for our SaaS audience, kind of, we want to move uh, gears towards kind of a little bit of, you know, personal rapid fire questions. You know, you can take, it could be short as long as you like, it's just, uh, like to make it a little more fun and easy. Um, so we'll start off with the question is what's your favorite hobby outside of work that, that, fi that you find gets you into flow state? Mm, great question. Um, so I, uh, I have two kids now, so they keep me very <laughs> busy, but it is, uh, I have carved out a little bit of a hobby. I, I took up DJing when I was in my late thirties, um, which is something I think I kind of always wanted to do. And I finally went for it. And it's nice because there's another employee in our company who does it as well. So, uh, it's something I do in my spare time for fun that feels like a very different activity. And it is something that can help me find that flow state. So. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what's something people usually learn only after it's uh, maybe too late? Um, that is a good one. I think probably something about, you know, doing things for yourself or, or knowing who you are. You know, I think we, we don't realize so much, so many of our things we're doing because we think that we should, or we're supposed to, or we're trying to please somebody else. Um, and, um, you know, it's like, if I, that, you know, if I knew what I knew now when I was younger, you know, I might be a little bit more adventurous or a little more bold or something like that. So I really look up to people who really believe in themselves and just take big, big risks or, um, you know, do things that way. And that's one thing I really like about our company is that we're not, uh, you know, embarrassed to be different or to really show who we are as a company. And, and I find that kind of inspiring it allows me to try to do that you know, more in my, in my everyday life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, to ignore the noise and, and kind of pressure and just following what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's uh, maybe, you know, do you have any career path tips for maybe professionals looking to develop their own careers in getting into your professional area or any, you know, software, soft skills or hard skills you think they need to have or education if they want to get in the job? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say soft skills. I do some mentoring and coaching for people in the UX field. Um, who are new, new to UX and they're going to these uh, boot camps or, or whatever. And they're talking about, you know, which tools do I use? Which techniques? And they're focused on, you know, they're really focused on the designs that they're producing. And then in the real world, it's just so different. It's, it's all about communication and finding out how to work with people and doing what it takes to, to get, you know, your, you know, your work into the product or, you know, a lot of people just create these great designs and then they haven't even talked to the developers about them and the developers just go and build something else. So it's not about getting the perfect design. It's about getting the good enough design and building a good relationship. So I would say in in work, just building relationships with other people is such uh, an important part of any job. And that's also going to help you get new jobs too. So, you know, and it's not even just people skills. It's just it's just building relationships, finding ways to communicate the right way with people. Um, but you know, work and 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 life. It's just it's all about connections and relationships and communication. And you know, those things are so going to take you so much farther than any you know abilities you have as a as a designer. Mm. So so you mentioned that you you know just uh, past nine years anniversary of working with Balsamic. What what keeps you motivated to continue working hard and, and you know being involved in, in the business? Um, you know, my favorite thing is talking to customers. Um, we a couple of years ago we started doing an office hours program where people can just sign up and and spend an hour um, with several of our employees talking about whatever, or we list some of the subjects that they that they're familiar with. Like me, for me, it's you know some is UX uh, coaching and career paths. Um, or working remotely. Um, and then we also do a live wireframing sessions where people who work for nonprofits um, who get our product for free can spend an hour with us, you know, as kind of a, their own wireframing expert and seeing real problems that people are working with and real ideas and real people. That That's always really motivating to me. Um, and also, you know, even though we're not a rapid growth company, the work is always changing. I started out doing documentation and customer support, and now I'm doing this. And also as we're growing, you know, there's other responsibilities. So um, the work is always um, changing and evolving. And so that that keeps it interesting as well. Nice. Leon, Leon, final question before we wrap this up. What is the number one thing you love most about working at Balsamic? Um, I think it is the, the mutual trust that, that we all have. Um, you know, if I was running a company, I wouldn't give as much trust to people as Peldi does, but it's kind of like we default to, to trust. So it's like he trusts us until we make some big mistake or whatever, but it's like failures accepted also. So it's just this feeling that everybody kind of trusts everybody and t- treats each other as, as people. Um, that, that makes it really easy to, to come to work every day. Awesome. Awesome. This, this has been great. I really appreciate you jumping on the SAS district show today, Leon, Leon and, uh, well, uh, best of luck in, in working there. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs> all right, cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, 
get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.